0: Welcome to the Retail Focus Podcast, a weekly collection of news, interviews, and information from the world of retail.
1: A big welcome, everyone, to the new Retail Focus Podcast, if you want to put it that way. I'm Trent Kling. You'll notice Leighton Kling absent. We took a couple of weeks off, or several weeks off, of the podcast because... Layton's new position, wherein he's dealing with a lot of retail-related real estate, there were some conflicts of interest there. So we kind of took a step back and said, all right, what's going on here? What can we do with the podcast to keep it going? So Layton's still going to help out behind the scenes. He'll help run the social media. He'll help with a few stories. And he might even appear as a guest a few times here in the coming months. But overall, Layton's got to take a step back. From the podcast, out of respect to those conflicts of interest, and I will be going solo. That doesn't mean I'm just going to be talking at you for 40 to 50 minutes. Instead, what we're going to do is make this more of an interview based podcast. The news isn't going away. We'll still have news every single show, but we'll have interviews every week. The other thing that this means, and we've had a lot of listeners reach out to us over the years saying, okay, well, you record once a week or sometimes we have to take a week off i would like it if you recorded more often or if you release shows more often well that's now going to be a possibility because late in schedule my schedule we we're both fairly busy waiting for them to mesh up sometimes caused a little bit of an issue and doing that twice a week would have been pretty difficult if not impossible and and did certainly prove impossible over the last couple of years so the neat thing about the interviews kind of being the focal point of the new podcast is that we'll get to release episodes whenever basically we've got an interview. So we could do two episodes a week if we wanted to. Some weeks there may only be one episode depending on what's going on on the interview front. But certainly very excited. We've got a lot of interviews lined up now. A good half dozen interviews lined up over the next few weeks. And our first interview in the new retail-focused podcast, so to speak, is an excellent one with Dan Sines. He's the CEO and co-founder of Tradeify. What we're going to do is talk a little bit about retail onboarding, training, and hiring during the current state, during the pandemic, how things have changed up and what retailers need to do in general and what trends he's seeing on the retail front as far as hiring is concerned. I think it'll be an enlightening interview. How the new shows will work, we'll start off with A big news story one that we feel like you need to know the details about or one that might be maybe swimming a little bit below the surface that you might not have heard about in many of the major headlines and then we'll go into our interview and then we'll finish up with the looking ahead as we did just in the original version of the retail podcast so without further ado let's talk about our first news story on the new retail focus podcast And we're going to go a little bit off the map with this one as Grocery Outlet came out with their second quarter results. Now, Grocery Outlet, as listeners might recall, is a smaller upstart grocer. They only went public recently, in fact, about a year ago. And although they're located mostly on the West Coast, they do have some locations in Pennsylvania as well. Currently, they boast 350 stores in California, Washington, Idaho, and Nevada. They're based in Emeryville, California, by the way, which is just north of Oakland. So think of them more or less as a Bay Area based retailer. And certainly a lot of locations that I've visited from Grocery Outlet have been in the Bay Area. Now, one of the reasons we enjoy talking about them on the show is their unique concept. They're somewhere between Aldi and Big Lots in their proposition for customers. Similar square footage. You know, Again, the square footage is going to vary based on the real estate and based on the cost of the real estate as well, but a lot of them kind of similar to that Aldi big lot size. They have many of the Aldi characteristics when it comes to their generally lower than average price points on their everyday staples. So you're talking milk, dairy, meat, eggs, produce, but they differ from Aldi in their connection with many major national brands. You go into an Aldi and you see a lot of Knockoffs that look similar, maybe to a national brand, but there's not a lot of national brands reflected in an Aldi. But you see a ton of the national brands in grocery outlet. That's really what they hang their hat on, and it's a stronger connection with these national brands even than what you would see at the average big lots. Now, a lot of that comes through the secondary market. We'll talk about that later on in this story. But the logos for these brands, and this is how strong the connection is, the logos for these brands brands owned by Procter & Gamble, ConAgra, others that are a bit more independent, they dot the background of their investor relations page. So you don't see the Grocery Outlet logo in the background of their investor relations page. You see all of these brands. So it's interesting to see logos for Dave's Killer Bread and Amy's and Edie's Ice Cream in the background of Grocer's investor relations page. But it underscores their very unique proposition to the customer. And that's one, honestly, that a lot of grocery concepts don't have. If we were continuing with the comparisons, maybe if you're in the Midwest, uh, perhaps Save-A-Lot would be a good analog. But it's not only their proposition to consumers that makes them unique. Their corporate structure is different as well. Not different as in never before seen, but different in that you don't see a ton of this business model, at least in terms of growing and developing grocers anymore, going one step further on their business model, very close to what you might see from Thriftway or Associated Wholesale Grocers would be another great example there from the Midwest or IGA. They pride themselves on an independent owner-operator model. So basically every store is operated by someone different, someone that's independent from the company. Now, Branding is stronger from store to store than it is for say an IGA. You'll see the IGA signage, but it's more localized to whoever owns that IGA or that string of IGA's. But the logo and the tagline exists in basically all of their 360 plus locations. Whereas you look at Associated Wholesale Grocers for an example, that's going to carry completely different branding from store to store. You'll see certain products, certain private label products be the same from store to store, but the store's marketing in general is going to be completely different. And the reason this happens to be effective for Grocery Outlet, or they feel like it's effective, is that they're able to take these independent owner-operators, bring them in, train them using the Grocery Outlet system, and then kind of let them go and let them make those independent decisions. So you're looking at You know, some planograms from corporate certainly getting passed down, but you see a lot of localization in terms of products, in terms of negotiating product deals, in terms of differentiation with buying. Overall, independent operators select around 75% of their assortment in each store. So that's that's a lot in terms of that particular assortment. And that's not really something you see from a lot of retail companies in general out there. You think about a dollar general, maybe varying it or leaving up to the store manager 75% of what goes into a particular store. Store managers have some leeway as far as end caps, as far as displays. In most retail stores here, you're talking about a lot of specialization and personalization. So now that we've discussed a bit about Grocery Outlet, Let's talk about their latest earnings call. And again, the idea of kind of the new version of the Retail Focus, we're going to go through these on a little bit higher level. We're not going to dig deep, deep, deep into the numbers, but we do want to point out things that really stuck out to us. Again, they've been publicly traded for just about a year now. And what the call told us is that we're still seeing an outsized impact from the pandemic on grocery earnings. It's important to keep in mind that this call spanned from the very end of March, the last few days of March, to June 27, 2020. So it did catch the tail end of the panic buying surge in their major markets. California's panic buying took place a little bit before some of the inland markets, like Idaho, for example, but still caught the tail end of that in some of their markets. Sales, though, throughout the quarter remained higher than average all throughout the quarter, according to management, obviously trending higher at the beginning of the quarter than it was at the end, but we'll also talk about some of their July and August sales here and how those are, are pretty strong. On the whole, on the whole, grocery outlets saw same store sales up 16.7 percent over last year's second quarter. Now, I want to talk about that in relation to what we saw from Walmart. Walmart came out with earnings just hours, literally hours before we recorded this and they saw same-store sales in the single digits. High single digits was in the nines, but single digits. So what this tells us is that we're still seeing more of a pop for grocery retailers than we are those combined retailers, those grocery and general merchandise retailers. And we'll see what that means for Target, who will release earnings on August 19th, which is the same day this podcast is scheduled to go live. Now, overall sales for Grocery Outlet up 24.5% over last year, that, of course, includes the impact from their growth in store count. They're aiming to grow about 10 to 15% in terms of store count every year. Now, they finished this quarter, the second quarter, with 362 stores. They opened 15 net new stores since the beginning of the fiscal year alone. Now, that sales increase that we talked about, those same store sales, parlayed itself into a massive year-over-year increase in net income. And I say massive, you look from the percentage point of view, and it doesn't look that big, but they went from a loss of 15 cents per diluted share to income of 30 cents per diluted share this year. Basically, this was as a result of gross profit jumping. Now, this is what I mean by on a percentage basis, it doesn't stand out quite as much. Gross profit was 30.8% last year but 31.6% this year. So, you see an 80 basis point increase, but that slight difference was enough to wallpaper over a 40 million jump in SGNA versus last year, something we've seen from a lot of retailers. Obviously, we knew Grocery Outlet was going to have to spend more to keep more stores operational, but again, you have all the things that go on with the pandemic, making sure those stores are outfitted and safe for their customers, a big reason that jumped. Lower share-based compensation though this year and lower interest expense also played a big role in that second quarter profit of $0.30 per share. Now, the increase in sales has led to a healthier balance sheet. You look at cash and cash equivalents, they're up nearly four times over the same time last year. Cash on hand has become a big topic for companies, given the unprecedented uncertainty we've come now to expect during the last five months in the midst of this pandemic. They were also able to eat into that total debt. We talked about that reduced interest expense, able to pay down their total debt by $15 million. They still have 460 million dollars in debt still outstanding so maybe a little bit more than what leadership would want but again you're talking about a company in growth phase talking about a company that is comfortable taking on a little bit more debt if it means adding to their overall store count now as far as looking towards that third quarter now that we're halfway through the quarter CFO Charles Brocker wouldn't discuss specific guidance but we did get an idea of how sales are going thus far comp sales through the first five weeks of the third quarter They were said to be up in the 10% range, which is similar to what we've seen from other grocers, and that would indeed outpace Walmart's overall sales, at least so far in the third quarter, based on their guidance from their call today. Indeed, another trend that's developing that is similar to other grocers that we saw in Grocery Outlet, fewer store trips, higher ticket size. And we're talking about a grocer here, too, in Grocery Outlet that doesn't really have those buy online, pick up in store options that a Kroger, that an Albertsons would have. So again, decreased traffic would be terrible for a store like this if basket size wasn't up double digits and that more than made up for the falling traffic. So again, we're seeing people go to the store less frequently, but really stock up when they go to the store. Not all that dissimilar from what we were seeing in March, if you recall. And this drives home the overall point that People are spending just as much, if not more, year over year at grocers and general merchandise retailers. The major difference is that they're making fewer trips. And you really think of where the money is coming from. Well, obviously, we've seen fashion retailers, mall-based retailers really struggle. Restaurants also. And that's one of the things with the grocery industry now is that people aren't going to restaurants quite as much. You're going to sell through more food As people still make the food at home i know it's become a trope to talk about people making sourdough at home but the reality of it is it's still tough to come buy flour and yeast in some of the grocery stores that are out there now one interesting thing that we noted from grocery outlets forward looking statements is their commitment to unit growth management said that they're continuing to plan for approximately 10 percent unit growth each year that remains largely unchanged they're planning for 30 to 32 store openings for the rest of the year Look at the overall goal of the company that comes in right around that 10% mark. To date, they've closed two stores in the fiscal year, but they don't anticipate any further closures. But one topic I really wanted to shine a light on on the call, and they talked about a number of things on the call that I thought were interesting, but one topic that was fairly major was their supply chain. Lights have been shown on supply chains everywhere during the pandemic. For the retailers that saw the flush of panic buying, at least, you know, people weren't talking quite as much about the supply chain for Macy's, let's say. But one big topic in prior earnings calls for grocery outlet prior to the pandemic was flexibility because they noted their I.O. model allowed for some gives and takes in both sourcing product and allowing stores to differ in their selection. We talked about the 75% of selection being decided upon by those independent operators, and it turns out this was a major help. During the panic buying phase, during those months of March and April, operational flexibility allowed them to be first on the scene for a number of secondary market deals. This, according to RJ Sheedy, who, by the way, is the president of Grocery Outlet, was a catalyst for them, strengthening their relationships with a number of suppliers during this time. And they've been bullish on crafting partnerships also with non-traditional suppliers especially in the specialized food market. They look at their supplier relationship as a two-way street. They want to tinker with the delivery and marketing of goods so as to maybe reduce packaging costs for suppliers, for example. They're not going to drive that hard bargain. If you've ever talked to someone that is a supplier of Walmart, for example, Walmart's rules are fairly black and white. You will do this, this, and this. You'll give us this much credit on this many returns and so forth. That's not how Grocery Outlet looks at it. Grocery Outlet is looking at this more as a partnership than determining every last thing that the supplier will do. And this is a particular note for smaller suppliers and suppliers of bulk goods who might be able to save on manufacturing costs, save on packaging costs, if they can deliver to Grocery Outlet in a different way. And as Shidi put it, opportunistic supply remains plentiful. That's a direct quote. I think the main takeaway from this is that we should look at this not only as a benefit to grocery outlet, but others who use the secondary market to fuel inventory. So you look at a retailer like Ollie's Bargain Outlet, a favorite of the podcast, and to a lesser extent, Big Lots, because again, they're not getting quite as many secondary deals now as they used to. They may be similarly well positioned if indeed, as Sheedy said, the opportunistic supply is plentiful. We knew this would be the case for some product lines, let's say clothing and toys. We knew there were going to be deals out there on the secondary market because clothing retailers were closed for about two months. But this is really the first indication that there's been no shortage of secondary market deals in consumables during the pandemic. And I think this is certainly a positive for retailers that have gone all in on really kind of declaring themselves that they will have that inventory. You look at Big Lots as a big example of that. They're trying to market themselves now as just a a neighborhood go-to. Maybe less so with Ollie's, but Ollie's has also grown quite a bit. And Grocery Outlet said this other interesting thing that I also believe might apply to Ollie's. They said, you know, we're looking to grow, but we want that growth to be sustainable. The secondary market deals that we're seeing indicate to us that our store count growth will indeed be sustainable, meaning there will be deals out there to sustain their store count growth. When you look at Ollies, they just finished buying up a bunch of old Toys R Us boxes. They're expanding westward. It seems like every day there's a new Ollies opening. This tells me that there might not be a shortage of product after all for Ollies. We always wonder about whether those deals are going to be out there for the off-pricers that expand, This is a very good sign for those off-pricers that dabble primarily in goods that are perishable, in goods that are consumable. So, a lot to take from that particular earnings call from Grocery Outlet. Coming up after this break, again, our interview guest, Dan Sines. He is the CEO and co-founder of Tradeify. We're going to run the gamut about things in relation to retail hiring, onboarding, training he'll talk a little bit about the tradeify platform by the way which I tried out absolutely love it but we're going to talk quite a bit about what it takes to hire someone during a pandemic and why different roles might open up different opportunities for people applying to retailers that might not otherwise have existed. Now we're not breaking any new ground to say that much of retail has been turned on its head over the past five months. If you've listened to the podcast or pretty much any news source, you'll know that. But beyond the masks, the delivery, the curbside pickup, and so forth, one aspect of retail that has similarly been affected, and you can make an argument that it's been affected even more than some of the other areas of retail, is onboarding and training. Of course, many retailers rushed to hire folks in March and April as panic buying was in full swing, but now, we kind of turn our attention to other waves of onboarding that'll be coming up, namely the holiday season here in a few months. Now, joining us to discuss retail onboarding and hiring dynamics, really pleased to have him as the CEO and co-founder of Tradeify, Daniel Sines. Daniel, welcome to the podcast today. Thanks for having me, Trent. First, just so our audience knows a little bit about you and your background, I was wondering if you could explain a bit about Tradeify and some of the objectives that the company has as far as what you attempt to do in terms of solving for onboarding and hiring dynamics.
0: Sure, so a little background on Tradeify, kind of including myself in there. Tradeify was started in 2011 by myself and my co-founder Josh Spears. Initially as a very different company than we are today. Josh and I have been lifelong friends over our shared love of Star Wars. So a pretty geeky bunch around here at Tradeify. And Josh had actually gone on a blind date that did not go so well. He came back to me and said, I wish I could have planned this date that would have matched the personality of myself and this woman he was on the date with. And that was kind of actually the genesis for the company. We thought we would build a dating application to match people to restaurants, places to go, things to do, but based on your personality. So in doing so, we started looking at the market of assessments out there and we found that they were all just so long and so cumbersome that it really wouldn't create this enjoyable consumer kind of experience that we were going for. My background is in design and Josh is in multimedia production. So we're very visual people. And we kind of said, I wonder if you could take that phrase, a picture's worth a thousand words and actually measure the thousand words. So that's what we did. We built an image-based assessment initially for this dating application. And we started going out to the market, trying to get people to use it. In doing so, we were going to college campuses, trying to get students to use the app, and the administrators started coming to us, and they said, you know, you've landed on this really clever way to measure personality. Maybe instead of telling your kids what date to go on, you could tell them what career path to pursue. And so as many startups do, we pivoted at that point, and we took this kind of new technology of an assessment and focused in on how we could build the best career-centric assessment out there. That quickly led us to working from universities to workforce boards to now where we are today. We predominantly work with high-volume hiring companies, helping people find the right candidates for the position based upon their fit for that role and their personality. So it's a long journey from blind date to finding the right job, but at the core, they're actually very, very similar.
1: You can certainly see some similarities there. And You mentioned high-volume hiring companies and, of course, a lot of the big retailers, are exactly that, which is one of the reasons we were so eager to have you on the show. And so often, retail analysts just act like hiring's an afterthought. Like, hey, no problem, we'll just add more people and you know patch holes here and there. But good <laughs> retailers, good companies in general, go a lot deeper than that. In your role with Tradeify, what are some mistakes, common mistakes, that you see companies routinely make when onboarding? And similarly, what can retailers do to onboard smarter?
0: Sure. So... You know, a common thing that we see a challenge in is that they don't treat the candidate or that employee like a customer. And I think that that's something that really needs to change across the entire industry. You know, at at the core, when you're a retailer, they probably are your customer. And so you shouldn't just treat them that way because they're now going to be employed by you, but they're probably going to buy things from you as well. And so if you kind of take a new angle and you think about it like they're a consumer, it'll change your entire perspective for how you onboard. We spend so much effort on marketing and advertising for consumers. We spend so much effort on making an enjoyable and engaging experience when they get to a store. Why don't we do the same thing for the employees as they're being onboarded? Make that experience personalized and tailored to them so that it really creates something that is going to make them want to stick around.
1: And it's not just about onboarding. Sometimes it's also about promoting and finding the right people for roles as well. And you coming from that personality assessment background, not only in retail, but in every workplace, a lot of times people look and say, well, that cashier, let's say, is really good at their job. Maybe they would make a good CSM or front-end manager, but it's not always that easy. Someone that's good in one role might not be great if you promoted them. So as far as, again, your perspective in terms of hiring Onboarding, training, and then promoting in general. What needs to happen on the retail leadership level to kind of vet which employees might be effective in a promoted role, in a leadership role, and which ones might be better suited for other roles, maybe public facing roles?
0: Sure. Well, I think all that starts at the apply process. You know, so before they even join the company, you want to see that there's a real fit for that role, that culture, and that position. And so that's kind of applying, you know, technology around the selection side of things. And that's going to make sure you're weeding out any people who might just automatically not work out or might be more likely to be fired. But from there, it's how do I keep these good people engaged and help to develop them in the position and look at where they have opportunity to move forward. So if you see early on when you're kind of assessing that person that they have a pathway towards leadership. Let them know that, help them see what that path forward looks like so that they can have kind of a destination in mind, especially when you're hiring millennials and, you know, Gen Z, there's a lot of feedback that you hear from those groups that they want to know what their purpose is. You know, what is the purpose for why I'm here? And if they understand how they're contributing to the bottom line of that business, they're far more likely to, you know, put more effort in and continue to kind of grow and be in a promotable position at that company.
1: So now that we've got some background there, I did want to shift to talk about current events right now. And we'll start with the back to school season. It's been pushed back in some markets. It's kind of been flattened, so to speak, because of dynamics changing with a lot of distance learning, a lot of school districts starting later. But the other thing, too, is that products, product demand is shifting as well. So I guess what I'm getting at here is that retailers kind of have to shift their focus on training and onboarding around this time of year as well, especially since We talked about the panic buying, but some retailers like Kohl's, for example, they're really having to ramp up their hiring after furloughs and layoffs. So in terms of where we're at right now, mid-August, what should retailers and other companies that hire in general be focused on as far as training and onboarding in the short term as they try to backfill some of these positions?
0: Sure. I mean, I think that they really need to look for that conscientious worker who's going to take extra care and time right now. I think, you know, this pandemic is gonna define a lot of brands in the eyes of people for years and maybe decades to come. And so finding, you know, that right person who's going to promote the way you want your brand to be viewed in the market around safety and that consumer experience that people are looking for, I think is gonna be really important. You know, we're seeing a lot of companies we work with adding completely new roles to what they're doing. Roles that are designed for just, you know, curbside pickup or cleaners that are just cleaning carts. I think there's just a whole new degree of conscientiousness needed to kind of achieve what they're looking for.
1: And to that end, that, that's actually something I wanted to touch on here because you mentioned there are roles in a retailer, like a, someone cleaning carts or someone that's on a full-time cleaning crew, let's say. That might not have existed. Maybe that job was farmed out or outsourced or something like that. So in terms of stores, retailers looking to hire, how can they kind of define which personality types they need for which position and and how can they be basically assisted to see what employees or what potential employees would work best in which roles?
0: Sure. So, you know, every personality has the potential to thrive in any role. And it's really about kind of personalizing that to that brand and what they're looking for. And so, what we do at Tradeify is we actually come in and we help to kind of develop what is that overall benchmark for the position? What are they looking for? And then we use the data that we're seeing on real employees and real performance information to kind of allow that to evolve and grow. And so, each brand might be a little bit different. But something we universally have seen across most retailers, and again, not all, is that um, people tend to hire more outgoing and extroverted people and often more creative people when kind of left to their own devices. But often those people are fairly bored in retail positions and aren't able to kind of showcase their talent. And so we've seen a lot of companies trend towards how do I hire kind of more introspective, introverted people? into these roles where I typically was maybe more wooed by a kind of an outgoing person.
1: Finally, the introverts get their due on the retail front <laughs> there. But, uh, exactly. <laughs> y- y- you know, looking ahead, we have a holiday season coming up where literally no one knows what to expect. We're used to these stories about, oh, such and such a retailer is hiring 50,000 people or 100,000 people. We don't know what traffic will look like. We really don't know what percent of sales will be brick and mortar, curbside, delivery and so forth. Now, how does that affect the decisions that retailers need to make in the very near future as they start to ramp up hiring here for the next few months?
0: Sure. I mean, I think it is all speculation. So that would include my feelings on this. But I think it's just going to be so interesting to see what holiday hiring does look like. I think that you're going to need to hire people who are far more adaptable because whatever you're doing this month will definitely be different next month. And I'm sure by the time we get to November when holiday buying really kind of takes off, it will be a completely different ball game. And so you're going to need to make sure that those employees are flexible and cared for by the brand so that they feel like they can continue to safely operate within those companies.
1: Is there something that companies can do in general? You mentioned kind of driving home the safety part of it. Is there something that companies can generally do in terms of maybe attracting new employees or new associates that underscores to them, Just the importance of safety within that organization, not only for the customer's sake, as you mentioned, the conscientiousness of those associates, but also that the associates feel like they're safe and well cared for.
0: I'm not sure there's a lot they can do in the actual hiring process around that, but I think there's a ton they can do in their own stores to showcase that it's real. You know, a lot of companies are talking about doing things that are safer and really kind of taking this angle of you know importance around the pandemic, but they're not showcasing it and what they're actually doing in their stores. And so I think that's the best way to attract the right talent right now. When people feel safe and comfortable, they're going to be more likely to apply to that position.
1: So one last thing I wanted to touch on here as a general topic, depending on who you talk to, with the unemployment rate where it is, we're seeing a flush of applications, especially to those you know, so-called pandemic proof retailers, grocers, and the like. How has the importance of candidate evaluation shifted now that we're seeing more potential retail associates in the hiring pool that maybe at any time in history?
0: Sure. I mean, I think from our point of view, we're a lot busier than we were a few months ago. <laughs> you know, there's definitely a need to kind of dig through and kind of find that quality candidate in a very different way than it was last year. You know, people were really focused on kind of top of funnel. How do I get quantities of candidates into my system. Now it's completely flipped and it's all about how do I find the best quality candidate who's going to stick around and stick through this with me? And so we're definitely seeing that kind of tidal wave of applicants come through for different brands. We saw it early on in the pandemic for those like essential grocery stores. One of the companies we work with had 145,000 applications in 48 hours. So it's just an immense wave of people coming through. But I actually think we're still probably a couple months away from the real wave hitting as a lot of these people start to leave unemployment and start to look for opportunities again.
1: Now, with that in mind, just crazy numbers there in terms of numbers of applications (laughs) coming through in a short amount of time. You touched on it in the beginning, a lot of times if you're a retail company, someone applies to you, that's usually because they're a customer first. They've probably been in your store or in your establishment. Something I found really neat when I was playing around with the Tradeify platform yesterday is that companies can actually offer rejected candidates some outplacement opportunities. And we're talking about numbers like 145,000 in 48 hours. There are, by the nature of it, going to be rejected candidates. In this time where we see this massive flush of applicants, how important is it for rejecting retailers to create that goodwill among those they might not be hiring just to maintain that brand status.
0: It's so important right now. You know, what we do is, you know, at the core, we're the fastest validated assessment in the market. We allow people to take our personality test in 90 seconds, all image based, designed for a great candidate experience. But from there, something that we do that's really unique is we allow that employer to give feedback to that candidate. And often it's just a black box. They, they never hear back from them. And I think, unfortunately, with this wave coming, that's gonna just get amplified. So we're encouraging more and more of our customers to send feedback about their personality. That can be things like personalized interview tips or guides to how they can kind of uh, perform better in their next interview they're going for. But that also can include showing them other opportunities that might be a better fit for them, even if that's at another employer. So I think anything you can do to create that brand goodwill between you and that person is just going to be a benefit all around for that employer.
1: That's such a great insight there. I did want to kind of close out because we talked about how Tradeify began, the number of times that it pivoted in terms of the overall scope of the company. What's next for Tradeify? What's on the horizon for you?
0: Sure. You know, So we're just continuing to build out our assessment library and what we're capable of there to get smarter with our recommendations. And we're also kind of moving from that pre-hire point to a little bit of the post-hire as well. We just launched a product called Tradeify Engage, something we had had planned, but also more relevant due to the pandemic. And it basically provides personalized feedback to current employees over that 90-day window that they're starting as to how to better engage with their company. We see a lot of voluntary turnover in the retail space, so people just choose to quit. And this is a way to really help them feel more connected to that company and figure out how they can kind of work their way up the ladder within that organization. So we're going to continue to build out resources like that.
1: As you mentioned, it's all about making sure the associate sees their own value, especially with Gen Z and millennials. Absolutely. Well, once again, Daniel Sines, the CEO and co-founder of Tradify, thank you so much for joining us today on the podcast. It's been fun. Thanks so much.
0: As always, we may have a position in or against companies we discuss on the podcast. Do not invest in stocks
1: solely on the input of the podcast hosts. Dan, for joining us. And again, that interview was enlightening. The Tradeify platform is interesting because it truly is a picture-based platform. It took me, they say 90 seconds. It took me about 100 seconds, so not too far off. But when I've taken personality assessments in the past, and, and mind you, I haven't worked on the floor level at a retailer in some time, about a decade or so. But When I took those personality assessments, there were some that took me about 40 minutes. And I personally, at least, was never hired at a retailer that did a personality assessment. The only retailers that I ever worked at were retailers that didn't use the personality assessment to determine who they were hiring, which I think is interesting. And when you look at the Tradeify platform, again, I did it. Took about 100 seconds. I got my personality type, which apparently is mentor. Now, as I told Dan before the interview, I don't know that I'm that self-actualized. So that seems right to me, but I'll let other people kind of speak to that. Uh, But again, conscientiousness rated high, emotional stability rated high. And based on our conversation, it seems like the type of person a retailer might want to hire. So again, retailers have all of these applications to pick through. They've got to have some way to quantify the best fits. And I think you're going to see more and more of these platforms coming out versus those archaic personality tests that, again, took forever and you'd be sitting there forever. Those may be not as useful and maybe not as, as good at evaluating your true talent level. And on top of that, what Dan said, I feel like, about introverts and introspective people is very interesting because... Again, who's going to do better in the interview? Probably the extrovert. You think in a retail store you would want an extrovert, want someone to to go out and maybe you know wrangle people, especially in a sales construct. But again, retailers are, are kind of rethinking that. Not that extroverted people are negative in a retail setting, but they feel, as Dan said, sometimes somewhat stifled when they get into that setting, and they might not be a good long-term fit for the retailer. So a lot of interesting stuff coming out of that interview now i wanted to transition from that to our looking ahead story for this week and what is there not to look ahead to all kinds of earnings calls in the retail world and of course the show isn't going to be all about earnings calls in the future but this week is a big week for retail earnings i mentioned walmart had their earnings call this morning home depot showed 25 percent increases in comp sales in the u.s that is mind-blowing So what I'm going to be looking ahead to, in the general merchandise sector at least, what's Target going to do in terms of earnings? Is it going to be similar to Walmart? Are we going to see those e-commerce spikes that we saw at Walmart this last quarter of about 100% at Target? Is that going to be consistent? But the story that we're going to be covering on the next edition of the podcast, Lowe's versus Home Depot, because Home Depot put up a number, 25% same-store sales, that is going to be tough for Lowe's to beat. But we have heard from a lot of people on the ground floor at Lowe's that they have significant positive momentum. Now, does that significant positive momentum mean better or worse when it comes to Home Depot? Because Home Depot has been stealing away that market share. And moreover, we're going to look a little bit more deeply into this particular sector, look at ACE, look at the likes of True Value and see where trends are going there. Are people going to the smaller square footage stores because they don't want to spend as much time there because we've talked about people would like to minimize the time that they're spending out in public on the whole not everyone but on the whole and has that translated into positive things for other retailers we'll also talk about some initiatives for both Lowe's and Home Depot as far as kind of covering their bases making sure those guests are safe so that's our looking ahead story and a combination kind of looking ahead to our next podcast our next podcast will come out this coming weekend. And we'll be discussing a matter that's near and dear to my heart, in-store audio. We're going to talk about marketing through in-store audio, but also just the dynamics of in-store audio, how that affects our in-store experience. You know, some stores don't have any in-store audio. Some stores have been playing the same Muzak system that they started playing in 1999. So we're going to talk a little bit about that. It's going to be an excellent interview with Paul Brenner, who is a CSO at Vibnomics. And we're looking forward to that interview. That'll be on this weekend's podcast. So a two-podcast week, if you will. A big thank you. If you've listened this far, please feel free to send us feedback on our social media channels at retail podcast on both Twitter and Instagram, as far as the new format is concerned. You can also shoot us an email, retailpodcast at gmail.com. We love to hear from you. We think that the new format, and especially with Leighton helping out on some of this stuff behind the scenes, it's going to allow us to, to interact with more people than ever before. But also, we're looking to have more interview guests on than ever before. And the other thing, too, is that if you've got an idea for an interview guest, feel free to reach out, social media, email, whichever. If you've even got an idea of something that you want covered on the podcast, if you said, hey, you know, this is really interesting to me. Can you find someone to talk about on the podcast? Hey, we'll do that too. So we're absolutely open to having a dialogue with our listeners and we're looking forward to the next five years of the Retail Focus podcast now that the previous five years in its iteration is kind of in the past. We'll look forward to that next five years and very exciting stuff. I'm super excited about, as I mentioned, the half dozen or so interviews we've got lined up for the next few weeks. Well, once again, for Late and Behind the Scenes, I'm Trent saying so long. Until next time.
0: This has been the Retail Focus Podcast. For more, visit our website at retailfocuspodcast.com and subscribe on iTunes or Stitcher. Follow us on Twitter at Retail Podcast.